Well, who'd have thought we could sing like that? After the verses we were looking at this morning. How wonderful indeed is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every now and again, there are court cases which grip whole nations. Some can even circle the globe. On the 12th of September 2014, news channels from around the world gathered to await the verdict of a case that had been making headlines for months. Was it a tragic accident? Or was he to be held responsible for the death of his girlfriend? World Paralympic champion Oscar Pistorius. Will he walk free from court? Or is he heading to jail? What was the verdict to be? Guilty or not guilty? And the world waited. For a world that finds such cases so riveting, it says much about the human condition that the greatest verdict that has ever been reached, the verdict which has the most far-reaching consequences of any that has ever been pronounced, the verdict of a case in which every man, woman and child who has or will ever walk on the face of this planet all are standing in the dock it is a verdict which for the most part amazingly is shunned or ignored or deemed to be of no consequence at all. Remarkable. Romans 3 declares all the world is guilty before God. There is no deed that any man or woman can do that will justify them before God. We read in Exodus chapter 34, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but by no means clearing the guilty he cannot just overlook and dismiss and ignore the guilt of sin despite all of those glorious things which are his attributes the same thing is repeated in the book of Numbers in chapter 14. The Lord is long-suffering, abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty. He cannot wink at sin and say it doesn't matter. He can't overlook our position of guilt. He can't disregard it. You cannot appeal to God's mercy and grace and goodness on the one hand and ask or expect 
that he will abandon his requirement for justice and truth on the other. It does not and it cannot work that way. God is abundantly good. But we are abundantly sinful. This is a predicament that many have considered over the years. The psalmist understood this reality when he said, Lord, if you mark our iniquities, who can stand? And there's the question right there, isn't it? Who can stand before God? With those truths in those opening chapters that we looked at this morning, how can any man or woman ever hope to be right with God? Is there any way this verdict can be overturned? Job asks in chapter 9, how can a man be righteous before God? Micah chapter 6, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? How can I be right with God? How can I stand before him and he accept me? One more recent preacher put it like this. If we're all guilty before God, without any excuse for our sin, how will anyone stand in the judgment? If works of righteousness cannot atone for our evil deeds, how could any sinner ever be saved from the guilt and bondage of sin? These, these are questions worth thinking about, aren't they? If God demands utter perfection and we are already irreparably imperfect, what hope is there for us? If divine justice absolutely requires that the wages of sin be paid in full, how could God ever justify a sinner without violating his own integrity? How can a just God justify the ungodly? I'll explain that word justify shortly. Some perhaps just decide, well, these kinds of questions, they're too severe, they're too negative, um, they're impossible to come to a conclusion or an answer over. And maybe others just say, well, they, these kinds of questions are too dismissive of God's love and mercy and grace. But these are questions that people have been asking for centuries. And it's a question we need to ask ourselves. How may I stand before God, given the condition that I'm in as a sinner? How may you stand before God, given your condition as a sinner? We find exactly that same quandary in the Bible. 
Some try and shrug it off, convinced that we cannot possibly be so bad that we cannot redeem ourselves. But this is plainly denied on the pages of Scripture. Who may stand before God? Well, as we keep reading through Romans chapter 3, we discover to our great delight that despair gives way to hope. And that's why the gospel is good news, because despair gives way to hope. We were considering this unpalatable truth this morning. But tonight we begin to consider together God's incredible response. Romans 3, verse 21. But, but, and the despair of everything that's been said up to that point gives way to hope. Verse 21 tells us that God himself is going to provide the sinner with the righteousness that you need and which you so clearly lack. This is a righteousness which comes down to us from God. If you just look ahead to chapter 4 of Romans, look at verses 6 to 8. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness without works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Wow. Hope in the face of despair. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. There is hope. And that verse 6 in Romans 4 talks, has the word imputes, talks about this principle of imputation, this righteousness which God is going to provide to the sinner, verse 21 of chapter 3. The righteousness of God, verse 22, that he's going to place on sinners freely by his grace. Imputation, well, how do we describe that word? In a couple of different ways, perhaps. On, one, on the one hand, you could think of it as the, the transfer of ownership of something. God is going to provide a righteousness for guilty sinners in such a way that when he looks on them, he's able to consider that that righteousness actually belongs to them. It's not their own. It's come from him. But he places it on them and he now considers it to be theirs. When you amputate something, you lose that which was part of you. When you impute something, that which was not part of you becomes part of you. And God looks at the righteousness that he places upon a sinner as now being part of them. It's not their own righteousness, they don't have any. But he's given them 
that righteousness which they lack, God is going to do something incredible on behalf of and in the lives of lost and guilty sinners. Verse 21, Paul says, but now, but now. What's this now? Well, it means the coming into the world of the Lord Jesus Christ. The summoning of the gospel age. Because now, says Paul, now I can tell you about Christ. Now I can tell you about this Lord Jesus who came, sent by God the Father to save us from sin. But now... Now there is hope. Now your despair can depart. It's now been revealed, says Paul. Well, it's been there all through the Old Testament, but now God has brought it into focus in Christ like never before. You can see it so clearly in the Lord Jesus Christ like never before. The old sacrificial system in the Old Testament, well, it made it clear that God's law demanded punishment for sin. But also, what about the issue of ongoing obedience that God requires? But we're continually disobedient. See, this issue of our righteousness is, is significant you see, that's why you have in the Old Testament, as you read about in Hebrews, the never-ending rituals of sacrifice. Why? Because people keep on sinning. They're disobedient. Well, what about that aspect? We've considered this morning two things. Our unrighteousness, which causes us to sin, and the guilt that is the result of that. Well, both of these things need to be dealt with. So, if you're an Old Testament believer, last year's Passover lamb dealt with last year's sins. But what about this year's sins? Because we've all sinned since. Another lamb goes to the slaughter. And next year, same thing. Repeated, repeated, repeated. In some ways, it seems like a vicious circle that will never be broken. In many ways, that's how the writer to the Hebrews pictures it. That's the, really the theme of Hebrews. That circle has been broken. And it's Christ who's broken it. He's paid the penalty for sins once and for all. But he's also dealt with the issue of our lack of righteousness. It's a bit like the dilemma that the prison service has with criminals today. After they're released, a huge percentage of them reoffend and end up back in prison. They've paid for their earlier crimes, good. But what can we do to reform these men so they don't reoffend? They've paid the price for that crime. But what can we do to stop them committing that crime when they come out? What can we do so that they don't stand before a judge as a guilty convict all over again? How can we put them right? God's incredible response 
is that he himself is going to make us right with himself. He's going to place sinners in a position whereby he can look at them and he no longer sees them as sinful and guilty. But instead, God is able to look upon them and see them as sinless and without guilt. And he therefore no longer needs to punish them. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now people always say there's no such thing as a free lunch. Many people often react when they hear the gospel, well, where's the catch here? If it sounds too good, then it probably is. Well, if you've begun to grasp that truth that we were looking at this morning, if you've begun to really understand those things that God is saying about the sinful condition of men and women, then then the light comes on as to just what good news the gospel actually is. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. God in the Lord Jesus Christ is going to deal with these two great issues that sinful men and women have. Number one, their sinful state, their sinful nature, their sinful actions. And number two, the guilt that that brings and the penalty that that deserves. And God in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a sinner and you've come to him believing and now you can say I'm a Christian man and woman, he's dealt with both of those things. He's dealt with the penalty of your sins and he's dealt with the issue of your sins ongoing. He can look at you now as not guilty and he can look at you now as righteous. And those two things that are the huge issue that those early chapters confront us with God is going to solve in the Lord Jesus Christ and put right for you, if you will believe. And that's the great question, do you believe this? Will you believe this? As we go through this little question, this, is, this little series, this is the question that I'm going to keep on asking. It's the question you need to keep asking yourself, do I believe this? Do I believe? The penalty I deserve my sin imputed to Christ he took it to Calvary as if it was his and he's paid for it the righteousness I need Christ has earned it through his sinless life and God imputes it to me do you believe it by faith Maybe some of you can recall, we looked at uh, the book of Philippians last year. We read this in chapter 3. This is Paul speaking, part of his testimony as a Christian, to be found in Jesus, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. I, I, I can't keep the law perfectly and be righteous before God. No. That righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This is the incredible response of God.
to the desperate plight of sinners. Now this, when we talk of this righteousness that comes upon the sinner in Christ, this is not a claim that Christians now walk around this earth living perfectly sinless, righteous lives just like Jesus did. That no Christian will ever sin again. That's not what it's saying when it says that we have this righteousness. Christ's righteousness is accounted by God as being mine, that I am in possession of it. The Father looks at me, sees Christ's righteousness instead of my unrighteousness and declares me to be in right standing with him on account of that. Likewise, he sees in Christ's body the scars that paid in full the penalty for my sins. So the requirement of God's righteous law have been upheld. The filth and degradation of my sins are no longer in view when God looks at me as a Christian because the righteousness of Christ is, is upon me. That's how God sees the Christian. That's what God declares to be true of the Christian. And that's what it means to stand before God justified. The penalty for my sin paid. And God can look on me and accept me because the righteousness of Christ has been put upon me. Martin Luther said about this, we thought about Martin Luther last year, didn't we? He said about justification by faith in Christ, if this article stands, the church stands. If this article collapses, the church collapses. So you see, the opening truth in Romans that we considered the, this morning was basically twofold. Our sinfulness and unrighteousness, that's the first, and our guilt, which brings upon us God's wrath and condemnation, that's the second. God's incredible response is that through the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to deal with both our sinfulness and our guilt. For sinfulness, there is Christ's own righteousness. And that's what Paul talks about in verses 21 and 22 of Romans 3. For guilt, there is redemption and propitiation. And that's what he talks about in verses 24 to 25. Redemption, a price paid for release, release from sin. The price, Christ's own blood at Calvary. Propitiation, the satisfaction of God's requirement under his law that our guilt receives its due punishment and penalty for our sins. And again, the shedding of Christ's own blood is the proof of that. Christ has done everything that we are in need of. He's, he deals with our guilt and he deals with our sinfulness. He pays the penalty for our sins and his very righteousness is imputed to us. 
And this is the glory of the gospel. And where it all seemed so hopeless, despair gives way to hope in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? And Paul makes it clear that all of this is by God's grace through faith. It's free. You can't earn it and you don't have to. Justified freely by his grace and through faith. His undeserved favour, his great kindness and his love. What kind of love is this that gave itself for me? I am the guilty one, yet I go free. What kind of love is this? A kind I've never known. I didn't even know his name. What kind of love is this? What kind of man is this who died in agony? He who had done no wrong, crucified for me. What kind of man is this who laid aside his throne that I may know the love of God? What kind of man is this? By grace, I have been saved. Have you? It is the gift of God. He destined me to be his son. Such is his love. No eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, nor has the heart of man conceived. What kind of love is this? So that despair can give way to hope. And it's received by faith. Romans 3 at 26. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ, received by faith. If you were not here three weeks ago, or if you were, but you don't have a particularly good memory or you're a bit slow to learn, let me recommend that you go back to our website sometime when you get home or during this week, and listen to the message that Stuart Olliott preached on faith three weeks ago. The evening service, Sunday the 7th of January. Have a listen. If you want to understand what it means to have faith, to trust in Christ, to take hold of Christ. This is available freely by God's grace through faith. Let me conclude with a little illustration. It's one of my favourites. Um, I mentioned this the other, the other week at our little preacher's training group. There was a man called Blondin. He was a famous French tightrope walker in the 19th century. He once visited Liverpool and apparently... On his visit to Liverpool, 
I don't know what health and safety and the animal rights people would make of this. He pushed a lion strapped into a wheelbarrow across the tightrope. And it was uh, one of those occasions that nearly ended in disaster when one of the guy ropes holding the tightrope secure became entangled around the wheel of the barrow. But that's what he did when he was in Liverpool, apparently. But <clears throat> what made Blondin famous the world over, well, lots of the world anyway, was when he crossed over the Niagara Falls in America on a tightrope. He did it for the very first time on the 30th of June in 1859. The rope was 160 feet above the water. It was over a quarter of a mile long and just three inches thick. And in total, he crossed over 17 times. And each crossing was more daring than the previous one. He once crossed it wearing a blindfold. He once crossed it and he took with him a stove and at the halfway point sat down and cooked himself an omelette, apparently. Another time he crossed over on stilts. And he was very fond of pushing a wheelbarrow on a tightrope for some reason and he pushed a wheelbarrow across. And on one occasion, he had in the wheelbarrow a very heavy sack and he made it right across to the other side. On, on both sides of the falls were huge crowds clapping and cheering. And on this occasion, when he arrived at the far side with the wheelbarrow, he shouted out to the vast crowd, who thinks I can push one of you in the wheelbarrow? Every hand went up. Who will get in the wheelbarrow? Every hand went down. They believed he could. But they were not prepared to personally exercise their faith in him by getting into the barrow. That's what the Bible means by believing in Christ by faith in Christ, exercising your trust in him, giving yourself to him, denying yourself and taking hold of Christ, dying to yourself that you might live in Christ. Who may stand before God? The man, the woman, the boy, the girl, who will by faith receive God's gift of grace and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do this and you may stand justified before the living God and you shall be saved.